Hi, how's it going, everyone? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and today I'll be talking with Kian Golzari, the founder of Sourcing with Kian. Kian is known as one of the world's leading sourcing experts and has manufactured products for the NBA, the UN, Olympic Games, Ministry of Defense, and some of the world's top athletes, including Kobe Bryant. He specializes in product design, development, manufacturing, best practices, how to find the right supplier, and price negotiation, which are all things that we'll discuss in today's interview. Here's our conversation now. Hey, Kian, welcome to the show. Oh man, thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure. So glad to be here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. It's good to chat with you. So first things first, why don't you tell us how you got into sourcing and product development? Yeah, I guess I was really lucky because I found my passion from a very early age. I went to China for the first time in 2010 on a sourcing trip. And basically, I started off in a family business. So my dad started a brand in the UK uh, called Highlander. I, I grew up in Scotland, so the outdoors is what we have. So we have an outdoor brand, which makes like camping and outdoor goods. So outdoor tent backpacks, sleeping bags, uh, outdoor furniture, cook sets, all that sort of stuff. And then my dad said to me, hey, when you graduate university, do you want to come with me to China and, you know, learn all, all about the source and stuff? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Because I'd seen my dad from a young age always go to China. And this is well before it was like a developed country. And he always brought back these like really strange gifts and things like that. And I was told me all these stories about, hey, this is what happens in China. And here are these products I just developed. And as a kid, I would work in the warehouse and pack boxes and, and stuff like that. So from a young age, I had this curiosity of like, you know, what goes on in China. So when I went there for the first time in 2010, like my mind was blown and that just became my passion. And I was very lucky because the first factory I ever went to was a backpack factory. And for anyone who's listening, who's been to a factory before, you you know what I'm going to say is that like the first time you see a product being made in front of you, it's a very uh, eye-opening experience in terms of, you know, you would associate like a backpack with just one unit in a retail store on a shelf. But when you see it in a factory, you see it in 30 different pieces, like the foam that goes in the shoulder straps, the shoulder straps, the webbing, the zippers, the buckles, the pullers, the inside lining, the waterproof coating, all that stuff. And you see it being assembled. And now in your head, when you're like, okay, I've got a $15 product and I need to make it a $12 product, you've got 30 different calculations you can make in your head in terms of how to reduce the cost or how to improve the quality because you've seen it go through that process. Since that happened to me in 2010, I've just had a absolute passion for this. That was supposed to be a two-week trip. I ended up staying for three months. I set up an office there. Then I went back to Scotland, got my things, and then I moved there. And I lived in China for several years. And then I went to over 500 factories and developed over two and a half thousand products. So I'm very, very lucky. I found my calling at an early age and I've been doing that for 12 years now. That's amazing. Had, Had you always kind of been obsessed with that sort of process of seeing items broken down. I mean, that's kind of like a, I don't know, an engineering acumen is what that sounds like to me. No, not really, man. I, I never studied engineering or anything like that. Like I studied business at school and I also had a passion for like entrepreneurship, but then just seeing a product. I think there's a difference between like liking what you do and then being good at what you do and being able to spend so much time in fact in factories and understand the culture and understand like how to deal with these factories, how to negotiate prices, how to develop products. And after I would describe it as like reps in the gym, right? If you do like a hundred pushups for 10 years, you're going to be pretty strong, right? Same for like sourcing. If you develop enough products and visit enough factories, you're going to be pretty good at what you do. But not many people do that, to be honest. A lot of people just go on Alibaba.com, they find their product, they make mistakes, they get the wrong prices, they get terrible quality. And then they're just stuck because they haven't been to China, they haven't been to factories, they haven't got a frame of reference in terms of how to develop these products and how to build these relationships. So I think I very, very much enjoyed it. Plus, I realized quite quickly that I'm getting really good at this. And from there, I was able to manufacture for the Olympics, the United Nations, Ministry of Defense, uh, NBA, all these guys, a lot of retail stores and a lot of Amazon and Shopify sellers as well. You know, people ask me all the time, like, oh, how do you supply so many different companies? And it's like, 
once you can do the common denominator of getting the absolute best quality from the absolute best factory at the absolute best price, you can supply anyone that you want. And because I'd spent so much time in China and because I had an office there, it was really easy for me to sort of really get the best quality, best prices. And then as a result, I was able to work with lots of different cool companies and entrepreneurs. No, that's great. That, I mean, that I was going to ask in, in a kind of a different way was, you know, with that track record of the UN, the Olympics, the NBA, um, I think on your website, you even mentioned working with Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. How did you get into contact with these people? I, I know it's kind of like, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the work speaks for itself. But even then, you still have to find a way to kind of like rub elbows with them or get in contact with them. I noticed pictures of you with Tony Robbins and Kevin Durant and stuff like that. So how how do you, you know, work with these people in institutions, but, you know, more importantly, land contracts with them? If you want to expound on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's like it's very multidimensional because like they all came about in different ways so for the olympics we were a scottish business right so the scottish government said hey the olympics is coming to london in 2012 there's an opportunity for uk companies to manufacture them do you want to be put on that tender list to apply and we were like thinking yeah cool but there's loads of companies bigger than us like yeah we'll never get it but yeah let's try see what happens and then it started off as 200 companies then it went down to 150 then 20 then 10 and then we're going down to London for meetings all the time. We're like, you know what? We're actually pretty close to getting this. And then we got it for like nine different categories of product that was supplied the Olympic Games. And then you kind of just need one big domino to fall. So from there, once we got the Olympic license, we could go to all the major retailers in the UK, like Tesco, Argos, Sainsbury's, and say, hey, we're the official licensee for the London 2012 Olympics for these nine categories of products. Do you want to stock these products in your store come the Olympics? Because essentially they could only buy it from us. And then they're like, yeah, cool. So we had all those meetings. And then when we had those meetings, Meetings were like, hey, this is our other business, camping and outdoor. Do you want us to quote for your camping and outdoor range? And they were like, yeah, cool. And we did like one or two products to start with. It went really well. The quality is good. The price was good. And then from there, it ended up doing like 19 pages in their catalog and did all their ranges and like, you know, had created brands for them as well. And then, you know, for, for the MBA, I went to University of Miami for a year in 2008, 2009. And I was on, I was not good enough to turn the team, but I was on the practice squad. So I got familiar. I got I made friends with all the guys on the team. One of the guys went to the NBA and he got drafted in 2009, same year as Steph. So he, he never actually played in the NBA, but just got drafted, went to Europe, got injured. But the NBA want to see former players succeed in business. So they gave him an NBA license and we kind of kept in touch on social media. So I'd been living and working in China for so long at that point. I just messaged him. I was like, hey, man, we went to school like a few years ago together. I manufacture for all these different retailers and licenses. Uh, if you can get the NBA license, then we can make these products. So we've got the home bedding category. So we did blankets, towels, bed sheets, pillows. We got the license. I started manufacturing product. Steph started posting it, became a partner in the company. And then it really took off from there. And then uh, that's when we got Neymar, the soccer player. He got involved. After Kobe retired, he did um, his book launch. So we were in talks with his company. We're doing a wide variety of products right before he passed for his three new books that he was launching in Borders. So it was kind of just like the Olympics was the first big domino to fall. Then we got into retailers. Then I started sending IGDMs. Then you kind of meet people at conferences and stuff like that. But you really need that credibility. And lucky for us, the Olympics was the first one, but I think for anyone listening who's like, right, I want to go after these big companies or big licenses or big retailers, I would say that you need you need to land your first one 
first. And that might be using your screenshot of your Amazon or Shopify sales to be like, hey, this product does $10 million a year on Shopify. Do you want it with your license now? Because if you, there's so many like licensing tra trade shows. There's like a sport and tailgate uh, show in Las Vegas in January, right? You could screenshot your Shopify sales. Let's say you're doing like, I don't know, aprons or coffee mugs or cowboy boots or whatever it may be. You'd be like, look, these are doing $10 million a year on our store. Do you want us to add to the NFL license? We'll do like Dallas Cowboys, but Pittsburgh Steelers, all these guys uh, on our products. And essentially, they just want see they want to see proof of sales because if they give you their license, they're getting a royalty on your sales. So, but if you're like, hey, I'm gonna launch this product, they're not interested because it's not selling anything yet, and you're leveraging their name and their IP to then sell the product. But if you're already selling something and it's doing good numbers, then they want to give you their license because now they're gonna get a fraction of your sales. Yeah. And you've already proved your concept and your customer base and things like that. So for anyone listening who wants to get these sort of bigger licenses, I would attend the licensing trade shows for the category of product that you want, build up enough sales on your existing store, take the screenshot of your sales, show them why you're good at what you do, get your first license. And then once you get that, then you can go after whatever you want, like Disney, Nickelodeon, you can approach Walmart, you know, all those guys, and then just really build it up from there. I think that's really solid advice, Ken. When I hear you talk about it, you talk with a lot of passion, specifically when you're even talking about working with sports manufacturers. Are, are there certain industries that you're more passionate manufacturing for than others? Do, do you keep all your doors open or do you only like to manufacture for specific industries? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's funny you say that because when I got really good at what I do and then became in demand and people wanted to work with me, then I sort of just chose, right? Okay. So the NBA was kind of the last one, right? And I was like, I had done like the Olympics, United Nations, Ministry of Defense, all this. And I was like, I love basketball. It's my favorite sport. I love the NBA. It would be a dream of, of mine to supply the NBA. And then I made it happen within six months. And then I was like, wow, like, and then, okay, I love Neymar, right? We got in touch with his team. And then we got it. So I, I basically live my passion through what I'm good at, through developing the products for the people that I want to work with, right? And then as a result, then, you know, you can DM anyone that like you can DM someone like an influencer, like a Mr. Beast or Logan Paul or a NBA player and be like, hey, do you want me to make a brand for you? These are the guys that I've already made brands for already. But then to your point, like I might get offers for someone like, hey, I've got this like pet brand or I've got this baby brand. Do you want to come on board and develop the next 10 best like baby products? And I'm like, well, I'm single. I don't have any kids. So I'm not. That doesn't wake me up in the morning to be like, I want to make the next like baby product range. But I feel that um, the best products in the world are, are the ones that solve problems. And if someone's like, I've got this innovative idea, it's never been done before it's going to disrupt the market. This is why it's going to work, but I just need to help manufacturing it. I'd be like, okay, cool, because this is more like problem solving. This is like, hey, let's figure out how we can get the best product at the best price to really disrupt the market. So I'm involved in a few projects like that as well that gets me really excited. So it's a, it's a combination of what I like and then also problem solving as well. No, that's really cool. And we'll touch on the product development stuff for sure. I just kind of wanted to um, touch on a bit of the sourcing stuff. And, and the circle back, honestly, when you talk about getting boots on the ground, in the trenches, going to China, looking at I think I heard you say 500 different manufacturers. Was that advice that was given to you or was that just something that you thought made logical sense as what I should do? Because, you know, you sounded surprised that that's not something other people do. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that most people don't necessarily have the time or the resources to go and move to China. So I, I moved when I was like 22 years old uh, to China and I was like, I really 
love this and I want to get good at it. And because I was like manufacturing for my family business and we had such a wide variety of products, every time I visited a factory, I learned something. I didn't got like obsessed with visiting different factories for different products. Like, oh, this is how trousers are made. This is how outdoor furniture is made. This is how outdoor gas cook sets are made. I went, wow, this is cool. And basically like the more factories you visit and the, the more you learn how products are made, you can kind of apply those from other products into new products as well. I, I would advise anyone, like whatever product or category that you're doing, that you go and visit your factory to, so you can really learn how products are made and really improve your knowledge so you're able to make better products and you're able to negotiate better prices and uh, add more value to your customer. But if you can move to China, by all means, uh, go for it. But that that's not necessarily not an opportunity for everyone. But I think you'll certainly learn a lot. And now China's opening up to the rest of the world as well. So now is a perfect time to go. Not only China, like if your manufacturer might be in Turkey, it might be in Mexico, it might be in the US, it might be in Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, go and see them wherever they are. Like you're definitely going to learn something and you're definitely going to get better prices as a result of it. And you're definitely going to have your manufacturer's respect as well. Well, that's great. Uh, Cause, cause that actually goes into another question I had, which is, which is, are there certain countries that you like working with more than others? For, for example, you know, are there maybe like some countries that have too little regulations or too many regulations that make them more or less difficult to work with? What's your experience there? Yeah, I mean, like I, I source from countries all over the world. It just so happens that China has happens to be the best country, which has like the lowest cost skilled labor, not lowest cost labor, but lowest cost skilled labor, um, and also has massive infrastructure in terms of their ro- roads and ports and number of factories and capacity. Like what other country in the world can you say that I want to manufacture 30,000 of these within 45 days and it's done to a very high standard? Whereas like if you, you're kind of going into the Wild West, like if you maybe go to like, you know, uh, India or Bangladesh or Myanmar, countries which aren't as developed. And then it's like, well, you know, the goods are fine, but the roads aren't fully developed. So we can't get your goods to the port. There's all sorts of issues that can occur in terms of like payment protection. And like, you know, like I can bank transfer a company in China, but because of like the way I do it and because of regulations and because of banks and because of like payment protection that I've arranged, like I've sorted out my samples and I've arranged my pre-shipment inspection company to go in and verify the goods. Like there's so many security measures I can put in place. But if I find a factory, let's say, for example, in Mexico, and they're like, yeah, just wire us $20,000 and we'll start the production. And I've never been there before and I don't have any boots on the ground and I don't have any inspectors that can go into the factory. It's it's a big risk. But I always say to people, it's very important to have a China plus plus one strategy, meaning if China is the best place for your goods, then find your factory, develop your sample, negotiate your price. But you should always do it with one country outside of China. Well, you should always do a couple of backup suppliers in China as well. But on top of that, always find a supplier out with China as well, because in the last sort of two, three years, we've had a lot of issues with like power outage situation, shipping costs, skyrocketing, lockdowns, factories closing down when the rest of the world was operating fine. So a lot of people were forced to go to other countries. But the last thing you want to do is like, you know, you're selling 10,000 units per month and then boom, your factory closes and you're like, right, well, I'm about to go out of stock. And now I need to find another factory in another country that could take six months. But if you did that work in advance, if anything were to happen in the home country where you're manufacturing the goods, will you immediately go to your backup where you've priced up and sampled up and visited the factory and verified everything is fine. So a lot of people ask me like, well, how do I know which country to go to? Uh, outside of China. And I would always say, start with the raw material of your product, which country specializes in that raw material. So for example, India is very strong for wood, cotton, canvas, handcraft, leather, stuff like that. So if you've got a leather rug, for example, well, India is probably the best place for you. But if you're doing like electronic product, like Bluetooth headphones, it's probably not the best country for you because they don't really specialize in electronics. So you can 
you can go to alibaba.com and we under products hit search and then like whatever product you're looking for whether it's bluetooth headphones or a leather jacket on a left side of the page it will tell you the number of countries which come up with results for that inquiry so you can see oh uh, turkey's coming up and pakistan's coming up i'll look at those countries and then there's another fantastic website called import yeti import y-e-t-i and import yeti.com what it does is it scrapes the shipping records so any container that goes into the usa every container has what's called a bill of lading and a bill of lading is the information of what goods are in that container where it came from what's the duty code where the factory and what import yeti does it scrapes that information so you can type in your biggest the market leader for your product so i could type in the north face into import yeti and it's going to bring up all the countries all the manufacturers which have uh, imported product into the us for north face and then you're going to see factories in Indonesia, in Bangladesh, in Ecuador, like loads of places like that. And you just have all the company details there and you can contact them directly. So I would utilize Alibaba.com, use importyeti.com to find factories in other countries for your product, get it priced up, get it sampled up. And look, even if the price is a little bit more expensive and your margins are less, well, so be it. Just use that when China are out of operation and then go back to China when things are going well again. Or maybe if it's a higher quality product, that you're getting from another country, you can afford to put your prices up, but definitely look at other countries. Sage wisdom. I, I want to touch on something that you were touching on, which is, you know, some of those red flags that you look out for when you're looking at different manufacturers. You know, you mentioned transport is, is a huge one when it comes to finding ports, roads, that sort of a thing. You know, what is your vetting process look like? And what are some of those red flags when you're looking at different manufacturers? Yeah, for sure. Great question. And luckily on Alibaba.com, so I've got, I've got a YouTube channel called Sourcing with Kian. And the first video I posted was called Seven Alibaba Sourcing Hacks. And on that video, I made a screen share of here's all the things I would look for when I'm uh, selecting a manufacturer. So one of the first things was, and I'm just talking about Alibaba.com, like only for, the, for now. And it's like search by verified manufacturers only. So you can click a button that says verified. And what that means is that a third party inspection company has gone in and verified that, that information in that factory is correct. So if they say they've got 500 workers, that's been verified. If they say they've got 35 sewing machines, that's been verified. If they say that they have this type of certification, their factory is 200 square meters, 200,000 square meters, that's been verified. So I, and they show you photos and videos. So I now know and trust what this information I'm reading is correct because it's been verified by a third party. But if it doesn't have that verification and they say, yeah, we've been manufacturing for 17 years, we manufacture for Disney and Walmart and all these guys, I'm just taking their word for it, but it's not been verified, right? So that's the most important thing, verified. After that, I would select trade assurance, meaning your payment is protected. So if you ask for like blue light blocking glasses with a blue frame, but you get it with a red frame, then your payment is protected. You'll get refunded because you didn't actually get what you ordered, which can happen uh, a lot as well. On top of that as well, it's very important for me to check the number of years that that factory has been in business. So for example, you can see that this factory has been established for uh, since 1999. So like 24 years, you're like, great. They've been in business for 24 years. It's a fantastic company. But some have only been in business for two years. Maybe they started after COVID because they saw an opportunity that everyone was buying masks. So they started a mask factory. That's not someone that I would like to work with because they're not really established. They're only um, in the business of selling like trendy products, but are not specialists in what they do. And then on top of that, I like to um, analyze the factory's location. So for example, when you're searching Chinese companies, the first word in every Chinese company is either the city or the province in which they're located. So for example, uh, blue light blocking glasses, right? I just know that glasses are made in a city in China called Wenzhou. Because all the factories just tend to congregate, like electronics are made in the south in Shenzhen. Backpacks are made in Shenzhou and Xiamen. Blue light blocking glasses are made in Wenzhou. Like 
steel comes from a young kang i just know that from living there for so long right but if you don't know that you can see this when you type in blue light blocking glasses you click verified suppliers you click trade assurance you select the type of certification that you want and as you scroll down that list you'll just see the first word come up wenjo 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 it'll be like wenjo optics wenjo glasses all this shit <laughs> all this stuff right so if you then see an outlier that says like beijing optics i'm like well that's not someone i want to work with because they're not in the area which specializes in that product so and then you can go even deeper than that like if you click on the company profile you can look at contact look at address and i like to analyze am i working with a trading company or a factory and to be honest i like i work with both like a lot of, there's this misconception that trading companies charge you more and like you want to be working with the factory directly but to be frank a lot of people aren't ready to work directly with the factory because their quantities are too small so it's better that you work for a trading company first so but i like to, but it's important to know who you're working with right because like a factory might give you credit terms and things like that so when you go to address i like to look at what's the location because if it says like 29th floor downtown shanghai i'm like well it's obviously a trading company but if they're like industrial park in suzhou i'm like well i know it's a factory so i always like to look at the address of the company to see am i dealing with a trading company or a factory and those are the kind of things i look at like i need verification i need trade assurance i need number of years in business i like to analyze factory location and then i also like to look at product and factory certifications so every major factory which is ever manufactured for let's say um a retailer a big box retailer like your walmart target bed bath and beyond they'll have had to pass certain factory audits like they go in and they check like hey do they have adequate lighting do they have fire extinguishers do they have dormitories for the workers they check the books make sure there's no underage labor they're not getting made to work overtime stuff like that and then they get this audit and they're like cool and then you can post those audits to your Alibaba listing. So I would look at, look for those audits. And then same with product certification. If you're doing electronic products, there are legal requirements that you have to test for, whether it be like CE certificates and things like that, or special testing for California, because they're always a little bit different. You can see like what testing they've already got. And you're like, well, great. If you've already got the testing that I need, that means you're a reputable factory because you've already exported to the country, which I need to work with. But if you know, like a test that I always like to do is like, if I'm doing like, let's say, for example, an outdoor camping lamp, right, I would go into Walmart and try and find that product or the closest equivalent to it. And I would read the packaging and on the packaging, it will always tell you what testing and certifications they've used for that particular product. And then I would quit, take a photo of that. I would quiz my factory to be like, hey, do you have this CEROHS 4092 certificate for lighting uh, for the USA? And they're like, no, what's that? And I'm like, well, clearly you're not a factory I should be working with because that's what's required to import into the US if you don't know what that is. So I, I like to, the retail stores is a big hack in terms of like, sometimes you don't know what the regulations are. You, you might be scrolling on like some software and you find, okay, there's a massive opportunity for doing garden hoses, right? But you don't know, like, is there a certificate I have to have for the pressure on this hose? Or like, I don't know, I've never used this before. So I would always like check with your manufacturer hey what certifications do you have for this product i would check with the retail stores to see find that product and see on the packaging what they've got and i'd also check with freight forwarders as well in terms of your the freight forwarders that you use to ship your products are also shipping that for loads of other brands as well so i would ask them hey um i'm importing these garden hoses from china to the us this is the HTS customs code that I'm using to clear these goods. Can you confirm that this code is okay? Because they're essentially clearing these goods for many other brands, many other products as well. So they have customs people in there and, and the customs people know what certifications are needed and what import duties need to be paid. So I always check with them as well. Gosh, that's a lot of knowledge. It sounds like Alibaba, you can do almost 
all of that stuff in Alibaba in and of itself. That's awesome. Can you tell us a bit about your company, Titan Sourcing? What do you do there specifically? Yeah, it's interesting. So during COVID, I had so many people like asking for for help sourcing. So I had a, I've got a Facebook group called Sourcing with Kian, where I think it's got over 7,000 members and people just kind of post their questions and I would answer it. And then like that, I started get overwhelmed with like loads of questions everyone wanted help and then i started a youtube channel sourcing with kian as well and i just started posting videos on here's how to get the best price here's how to get the lowest moq here's how to work for top factories and then that started blowing up and i think it's at like twenty-two thousand subscribers something like that loads of people like hey like can you source for me and then that's when i developed uh, titan sourcing which is basically an online sourcing platform which has a sourcing team behind it it's got a team on the ground in china it's also got a support office it's also got this platform that i built online that you can basically input your existing manufacturers into and i was thinking look if i'm sourcing from day one as an absolute beginner and i know nothing what information would i want to tell that person what do they have to know what do they need to know because a lot of people don't know like a lot of people like ship products from China and they get like um, a faulty, faulty batch. And they're like, oh, like I just paid $20,000 for this order, but the handles are falling off. And I'm like, well, hey, did you get a pre-shipment inspection done? They're like, I didn't even know what a pre-shipment inspection was. So things like that I built into this platform. So it's essentially like, you know, when you like order food from like Uber Eats or something like that, it's like, right, your food's in the kitchen, the driver's on the way, the driver's picked it up, it's on the way to you. I basically built that for your order. So it's like, we go out and find, you might say, look, I want to do these like um, coffee um, canisters or whatever, right? So we'll go out and find the top factories for you, you utilizing Import Yeti, Alibaba.com, my personal network of factories and uh, stuff like that. And then we invite the suppliers into the platform to be like, right, this is a product that you've been asked to quote for. Now it gives your best price, gives your terms, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, the member goes in and says, okay, I like that factory. I like that price that's reasonable request sample so then we arrange for the samples to to go to the member as well then they decide yeah cool happy with this or no make some changes so then that's all communicated within the platform and then you can actually place your order but i've built all my terms and conditions and templates and forms and documents in there so the purchase order template is done for you the terms and conditions of your order is done for you meaning like if they say it's your goods are going to ship out on the first of april but they're not ready until the first of may then there's penalties and the supplier will be held accountable for not hitting those delivery dates your order is like a time bar that you can just see it progressing as you get along those dates and then you get notifications when the first unit is finished production when the final batches are the final goods of finished production and then we work with pre-shipment inspection companies to verify that the goods are uh, correct we send you pre-shipment samples that you confirm and then we work with like top shipping companies uh, to then send your goods for you, get quotes for you on your behalf. So you basically just log into the portal and just see your order getting fulfilled for you. And you can do it as an absolute beginner with no experience. Hey guys, can you hold my hand for this process? Or you can do it as an advanced seller and have everything neatly organized for your order, as well as um, getting help from our team to sort of find you new factories and price like, and things like that as well. What a utilizable tool. I think that tracker has got to be impactful to um, people. You know, I mean, I noticed on the website that you have a free kind of segment or tier that is totally free because I, I tried to get on it and I was like, yeah, they're not asking for a card or anything like that. And that's just not something that you see nowadays. So I think that's really appreciated by entrepreneurs and other people i mean continuously giving people free youtube videos and you know you have a course on founder where you help entrepreneurs with um to switch gears product development what are some of the topics that you cover in terms of product development in that course so it's really interesting right so from doing like two and a half thousand different products 
just there's not one approach or one way to be like, hey, this is how you develop the best products. But from developing so many different products or so many different companies across so many different categories of product, I find a lot of like similarities. Like, hey, if we do this, we'll be successful. And um, founder reached out to me about a year ago, and that's like founder f o u n d r dot com. So if anyone wants to check it out, you can go to founder dot com forward slash kian. And there's a product development course there, which I've kind of just put like twelve years of knowledge into one course, which I've recorded in Melbourne, Australia, back in September. It's kind of like a really proud feeling to have like, here's 12 years worth of work just wrapped up into one course that anyone can apply to their business today to then go ahead and develop the best products. But it's essentially, I kind of take you through my processes and steps in terms of, okay, I feel that, as I mentioned, the best products are the ones that solve problems. So I always ask myself the question, whichever, whatever product I'm developing, what problem am I solving here? Because a lot of people, like they see a product that's selling quite well, like a trendy product, and they're like, hey, I'll just make it a little bit thinner, a little bit lighter, or I'll just change the color. But really, that's just a race to the bottom in terms of price because the market's going to be flooded with competition. So I kind of look at product development in terms of how can I best innovate and then how can I best protect my product? And then there's like three or four different levels of protection in terms of can you get an exclusivity agreement from your manufacturer that they won't supply that to anyone else? Can you develop a mold for that product? Like if this is a new design, new shape, then you've now invested significantly in a molded out product. So no one can just basically go ahead and copy it. And then can you patent that product, whether it's a design patent or a utility patent to make sure that that product is now protected. So and a lot of people always ask me like, hey, well, what if my manufacturer copies my idea? I don't want them, I don't want to share too much information about my idea. I was like, your manufacturer is not going to be the person that copy you, copies you. It's a competitor that buys your product and sends it to another manufacturer and then they copy you. A lot of people ask me like, you know, like, well, should I give my manufacturer an NDA agreement and all this sort of stuff? And I'm like, no, because... Um, I've always built my relationships based on trust with my manufacturers. And I, for anyone who's consumed too much of my content before, I always go in so much detail in terms of there's so many benefits of having a great relationship with your manufacturer. But if you say to your manufacturer, hey, I've got this idea for this product, but I want you to sign this because I don't trust you're not going to copy it. It's not setting your relationship off on the right foot. But if you have that design patent and that you, or that utility patent, you can take any other seller off the market and if, for example, you get unlucky and your manufacturer copies your product, well, you can also take their product off sale because you have that patent. So the defensibility is really important. Problem solving is really important. Uh, creating like a vision board for your products is really important because I like to kind of think of product development in terms of like connect the dots because, you know, you might look at a product and just think like quite one dimensional, but I like to think, I, I like to take all my ideas around that product to be like, hey, um, like, okay, what are the influencers which are trending at the moment talking about this product? What are the colors which are trending right now? Is it the earthy colors? What are the materials, whether it be recyclable or sustainable materials? What types of packaging? Uh, can we make a packaging um, a purpose of the product? So it's not just basically some cardboard box to transport it, but it's maybe like a pouch which can be used as a feature of the product as well. Any idea I have for a product, I always just screenshot it if it's online or I take photos of it if I've got it in front of me and I print them out, I put it on the wall and it's almost like now like connect dots, look at all these different things. And then like, say for example, there's like maybe three or four influencers that you think would be a great fit for your product. Get that sample made, DM that influencer. And rather than being like, hey, can you promote my product? How much will, will, will you charge me to, to post this? I would rather be like, hey, I very much value your content. You're, you're someone I've been following for a long time. I've been inspired by the work that you do. Uh, I'm also creating a travel brand. So you're a big travel influencer. I would love to send you this sample that I've made and I would love your feedback on it. And then they would say, you know what? This is a great product. Uh, but when I used it, the shoulder straps were a little bit too thick. I wish they were a little bit thinner. Like, cool, got it. 
you make the thinner straps and send it to them. And then when it comes to posting it, they're like, I was involved in the product development process of this product. They made the changes. So they feel like a lot more loyal to it. And then they're going to post it, not because they're getting paid to do it or whatever, but because they were involved in it. So those are the sort of things that I explain and like, you know, testing the product and not over developing the product because I always say like develop until the product is 80% ready because it can take like maybe one or two months to develop a product and get it 80% ready, but it can take nine months to a year to get it from 80% to hundred percent. And sometimes in that time, because we're all perfectionists, we want to develop that perfect product. Now the window of opportunity might've passed because other people have come out with that product while you were trying to perfect it. But if you launch it when it's 80% ready, and while it's in production, while it's selling, and you're working on the next iteration, well, if someone ever copies your product, they're copying your first version, whereas you've come out with the better version. So you're always one step ahead of your competition. I explain all this sort of stuff uh, in there, but if you're interested, definitely hit founder.com forward slash Kian. No, that's that's really cool. I like the idea of beta testing via influencers because then they have like an intrinsic attachment to the product and its development instead of feeling like, I don't know, a shill to it. Honestly, I mean, I, I can imagine imagine these people get hit up all the time to promote a product that they might not even like, might not agree with, might not come back to. But if they're getting the product for free and just using it and being honest about their experience with it, then that's a win-win for both teams, honestly. So I, I think that's a really cool idea. You seem like a like an idea guy. This is a question I've been milling over in my head with different people in, in similar fields. Is it more about idea or the execution? I know that that's kind of like a loaded question because I know that it takes both to make a uh, solid product. But for you, does it feel like the foundation of a good idea is is more important or is it more about how to execute the best idea that you got, really? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And I think it's so important to, to discuss as well, because, man, you could go to any event with 3,000 entrepreneurs and everyone will tell you, like, I had the idea for that product before they made this product, right? <laughs> but the, 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 the ones who succeeded are the ones which actually executed on it. And execution is not easy, man. It's, it's tough. Like, it will... Man, I know so many entrepreneurs which have poured their life savings into product that they've had, like, failed marriages as a result of like going all in on a product spent too much time developing it spent too much money on it it kept failing you know what i mean and it's like it's not easy but execution is so so important so i, I would say that someone with great ideas might not be successful if they don't uh, make the execution someone with terrible ideas might be very successful if they just keep executing because you learn from every single iteration right it's kind of like selling on amazon or selling on shopify you might not be successful if your first or second product but the lessons that you learned in that process, you now apply to your third product. And I've never seen someone which has failed three products in a row, but because you take those lessons into the next one, because you constantly execute. So I would say that like, hey, if you're not, if you don't know how to develop the best products or anything like that, there's plenty of free information out there, like like this podcast, for example, like uh, my YouTube channel. And then if, you, you know, there's like group coaching and mentoring and all these sorts of yeah, online events you can go to and stuff like that. So there's really, you know, get yourself into a group of some people which can hold you accountable, maybe like five or 10 other people, which also want to develop products and sell on Shopify and Amazon and things like that, and just share your strategies. It's like, there's now so many resources at our fingertips that there's no excuses for lack of execution. So if you have an idea, but you take ages to execute, and I understand people have got jobs and families and things like that, but 
not to go Gary Vee on everyone, but everyone's got an, a spare five hours a day to work on their idea, weekends as well, holiday period as well. So uh, if you're really serious about this and if you really want to sort of become a nomadic lifestyle e-commerce, and by the way, all that sort of like nomad stuff is, is not true. <laughs> Anyone who's built a massive business works very, very hard. If you want that quality of life, then just put the work in and it's it's definitely possible because I've seen hundreds of people do it. No, I think that's sage. And, and, and honestly, from what I've heard in advice is it's, you know, I, I try to surround myself with people who know better than I do. You know, if I if I'm an idea guy, which I am, I don't have great discipline. I have to surround myself with people who do have discipline and better time management skills and stuff like that. If I wish to actually get my idea executed or something like that. You never want to be the smartest guy in the room. No, absolutely not. Then people start coming up to you and asking you for answers and then you're stuck giving fake answers or something. (laughs) And and by the way, I I have this rule for like events, right? I like to spend my time in three different categories, 33% of the time. So, you know, you do the like online, um, sorry, like in-person events, like these e-commerce events and stuff like that. 33% 33% of my time, I like to be educating and teaching people in terms of like, here's better sourcing practices and stuff like that. 33% of the time, I like to be talking to people which I feel are on the same level as me in terms of, hey, this is what I'm doing, what are you doing? Cool. Well, I tried this, it didn't work. Oh yeah, well, I tried that. You should try this software. Cool. And then 33% of the time, I like to learn from people which are where I want to be and they can pass down their knowledge. But I feel that like you actually get better at what you do by teaching. And then you can also uh, have those accountability groups with people which are on the same level as you. And then you can also learn from the people which are ahead of you as well. But also it's very important to sort of audit the person which is giving you the information, right? Because have they achieved what you want to achieve for them to be giving you that advice? And then also how did they achieve that? Because you could take advice from uh, Mark Cuban, right? Dude's a billionaire. And you might just want to launch your first product. So is he really the best person to give you that in the trenches advice? Because he's not doing it today. I don't want to take anything away from him. He's achieved massive success, but he's better off giving advice to someone who's maybe made their first hundred million and now they want to make a billion, not someone who wants to launch their first product. So get yourself in the room, which someone who has recently achieved and is still doing what you want to do, and they can give you the best up-to-date actionable advice that you can apply to your business today. Oh, I love it. That's that's extremely applicable. You're looking at product development, right? Kian, what are some of the uh, factors to look out for down the road of product development? You know, For example, are there certain things you can do on the front end in developing to solve a potential problem that might come up on the back end? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, I would say that it goes back to developing a good relationship with your manufacturer. So for example, there's a difference between like, okay, I'm going to do this order for the first time versus this is a repeat order. And now like, you know, I've kind of proved the concept. I ordered that first order of 300 units, sold out pretty fast. Now I'm going to go for that next one. And what I like to do is I always like to give my manufacturer a forecast order to say that, hey, uh, the first two orders, we did 300 units. Now we did 600 units. Our orders are growing. And we envision that over the course of the next 12 months that we're going to order 10,000 units. Now, I don't want to basically place an order for 10,000 units right now. And this is not a commitment. This is just a forecast. But can you go ahead and place the order for the raw materials of our products for 10,000 units? For example, let's say we're doing a black hoodie, right? And you need black polyester material for that hoodie. I would say to my manufacturer, can you hold in stock in your warehouse 10,000 units pieces worth of that black polyester? Now, I'm not asking you to cut the material. I'm not asking you to sew the material. I'm not asking you to make the products. I'm just asking to hold that material in stock so that when I give you an order every month or every six weeks or every quarter, that the materials are there in stock, ready to go, that you can literally just cut, stitch, pack, and send them out. 
And what that does is that it gives you like economies of scale in terms of price because you've locked in your material price at 10,000 units rather than 1,000 units. It's also giving you a consistency of supply because the quality of your polyester will be the same for every order for the next year. It will also speed up your, your lead times because you're, it's only going to take like 30 days to manufacture rather than 60 days because they had to go and order the material. But then you're also not paying for it because you only pay it for the goods when they go out of the factory. And then a lot of people would say, well, why would someone just order 10,000 to hold that stock? What if I don't take the goods? But remember, you're only asking the manufacturer to hold the raw material in stock. And if it's something simple like black polyester, if you don't take those goods after one year, they have no problem selling that black polyester to any other customer, right? But if you had asked for some custom purple color with goldfishes on it, they'll probably say no, because they know that they can't sell that pattern to anyone else. So if you don't take it, you're stuck. So they might ask you for a deposit on the materials. But if it's like a common material, like let's say if it was steel or aluminium for the outdoor furniture chair, or if it's a black polyester for the hoodie, or if it's the frame for the blue light blocking glasses, they can hold the material and they can use it for other customers if you don't take it. But that's going to reduce your cost, reduce your lead times. Um, and really give you a consistency of supply. So it's things like that that you start to learn as you get bigger. And that's why you want to sort of be involved in like group coaching and like learn from the people which are above you. So, you know, you, you, you might be sourcing a product for the first time and be like, you know, the price I'm getting quoted is $8. How is it that when I look online, everyone's selling this for much cheaper than me? Like, but I'm ordering decent volumes. It's like, these are the types of like tips and tricks and hacks and strategies that you learn from just being in the game for a while that you can apply to your business to then make sure you get the best prices and quality and faster lead time so you don't run out of stock either. So what what, what I'm hearing you say, Kian, is people want to make a product that stands out and can be independent and look different, but it actually might be more beneficial to use raw materials and a baseline of something that is a little bit more, I don't want to say unoriginal, but easily accessible so that you don't get stuck trying to hold the raw materials and pay less on the on the front end does, does that make sense yeah and you know what like if anyone ever gets confused like you can also but you've got an idea for a product all you need is one sample and then you can kind of get validation from the market so if you build up a community let's say for example you've got a facebook group of 500 people which have maybe bought a product from you before you're like hey by the way this is a new product we're thinking about launching who wants to be the beta tester or if we were to sell this for 99 would you be interested in purchasing purchasing this and get that feedback from your loyal customers before deciding you know do i want to really launches product on top of that crowdfunding is a great platform for like innovative projects like whether it be kickstarter or indiegogo you can make us make a video about your product and say like hey we're going to sell these introductory offer at 99 and then give yourself a goal and if you only sell like 15 units well don't launch it it failed and if you get an order for like 1800 pieces wow great success now let's pull the trigger let's launch it let's develop it let's manufacture it so it doesn't always have to come at the expense of just taking a punt on something paying for the stock and be like oh shit it didn't sell what do we do so i would always get validation before i mean and you get better at that over time once you understand your audience a little bit more and you know what they like because essentially once you build a brand and like building a brand i feel is the most important thing because that gives you a lot of people want to build up their e-commerce business to sell it and if you sell it you have way you can sell it for way more if you sell a brand right as soon as people like your products and they develop a loyalty to that brand then people will buy the products just because they like that brand not necessarily because it's this highly new innovative product so i think that uh, spending time and focusing on building a brand will allow you to launch uh, products easier in the future as well that's great speaking of brands so prior to titan sourcing and sourcing with kian you founded a startup brand called veltra 
for a couple of years. Can you tell us about that company and what you learned from that experience, what that was? Yeah, for sure. So essentially, uh, Veltra is so a passion for traveling, right? Travel so many different countries, so many different factories, all that. And I was like, my skills are in product development. And my favorite product to develop is a backpack. So I was like, let me launch the absolute best travel backpack in the world. And I took two years working on it. Essentially, I made this backpack, which has like all these crazy features that you wouldn't even think of. Like, what do people like to do while they're traveling? They like to watch movies on their iPhone and their iPad. But, you know, you put it on the plane and like you kind of put this hoodie underneath your phone and it keeps slipping and all that sort of stuff on a tray table. And then like, so I developed this like zipper puller, which you basically unclips. And when you unclip it, it turns into like an L-shaped kickstand. You just open it up and then you can put your mobile phone or an iPad on this little zipper puller, which now supports your phone. You can watch movies wherever you are. But that feature, that zipper puller cost like, I don't know, 20, 25 cents, but the value is added to the person is tremendous, right? So it's packed full of like 25, 30 different features like that that you just wouldn't expect to see on a travel bag. I found it with travel bags, they're either far, far too um, bulky. And they have all your features, but just look like box shaped, but not cool enough that you feel like comfortable wearing it down the street. Or they looked pretty fashionable, but didn't have all the features that you wanted. So I made this bag to look really, really cool and have all the features that you wanted. So I worked on it for two years uh, in the factory in China. So many different rounds of samples. I was going to launch it on crowdfunding as well. I was ready to launch it. I built up the Facebook group, started running ads, all that sort of stuff. April 2020 and then uh, March 2020, we all know what happened. And then I like put a couple of feelers out to be like, you know, hey, I'm launching this travel bag. Should have seen the comments. People are like, oh, you're so insensitive. How can you be promoting travel? Everyone's supposed to be at home. Da, da, da. This is crazy. What are you doing? I was like, oh, crap. I need to like just basically put the brakes on this. But I'd already made the stock, right? I was about to launch. In one way, you could look at it as, as, as a blessing because had I launched and then COVID hit, it just would have killed it. I've invested a lot of time and made a lot of cool videos, worked for a lot of different influencers and, and all that sort of stuff. None of which has really been posted. I mean, we're on Instagram at Veltra and Veltra is just the word travel T-E-T-R-A-V-E-L but swap the V-E-L and the T-R-A so Veltra is travel that's something that I still intend on launching but travel is going to have been okay again for like the last like year or so but I've had other commitments in terms of you know doing this course and working with different companies and launching other products the timing hasn't been right but I've would maybe predict this summer 2023 it's probably when i'm going to launch veltra and the way i'm going to launch it is going to change rather than crowdfunding now i'm probably just going to launch it straight to shopify so maybe i work with you guys and get a nice little filter for my website as well so yeah it's uh, it's coming five years later but it's coming that'd be great i travel as well i love my backpack for travel but i've been dogging it you know i've had it for a long time which which shows that a good product lasts you know but i've had it for a long time and i could probably use a new backpack and and you know, what I'm hearing you say, Kian, is that, you know, Veltra isn't dead. It was just, you know, in a coma for a little bit, you know, it was put on pause a little bit. So I'm excited to hear that. And, and by the way, you know, like, you, you know, when a bit of time passes, you're like, I don't know if people would really want that anymore. And, you know, maybe times have changed and things like that. I was a little bit down about it. But in that course I did with Founder, because it was on product development, I was like, this travel bag is the ultimate example of product development, because I've added so many features and added so much value to the customer through a product. So in the course, I had the bag with me and I gave a demo in one of the modules of, hey, these are all the 30 features. This is product development. And when I looked up, right, see like the two people behind the camera, their jaws were just dropped. They were like, they were, when we cut, they're like, yo, 
how can I get one? And then when I saw that excitement, I was like, okay, cool. I definitely have to launch this. So yeah, I'm excited about it, man. No, that's great. I'm 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 happy to hear that it didn't didn't knock you down, honestly. I definitely saved me one. Put put one on hold for me. So for sure. But sorry, you know, that was actually a really interesting time, right? Because 2020, I, I was living in LA because I was doing all that work for the NBA. I was living in the States um in, in LA. And then at the exact same moment, both the two things that I've been working on for so long just went to zero. Like I couldn't launch my travel brand. I was getting a lot of abuse online. Uh, about it and then um I was working with the NBA right and uh, the NBA season suspended for quite a few months and then when it came back uh they went into the bubble so they didn't even allow fans back in the arena and we were selling into in, into arena stores and because there were no games no one wanted the merch so we were kind of going through like you know making all these products to not getting any orders to not being able to sell it in in store arenas and then the travel brand wasn't able to launch and then that's when I like kind of just packed up my things, moved back to Scotland. And I was just sitting in my apartment and I was like, what do I want to do? And I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to start a YouTube channel. Let me just add some value there, see what happens. And then start putting out the sourcing videos on the Sourcing with Key on YouTube channel. And then so many new opportunities arose and then Titan Sourcing developed and then loads of other things as well. So everything's a blessing, man. It's just kind of like you got to roll the punches and then I just sort of keep progressing. No, that's great. I mean, that's what great entrepreneurs do is they pivot. Once you're put in a box or you put all your, not all of them, but you put a lot of eggs in one basket, you got to learn how to adapt, how to pivot. And I think that's something that you've done successfully. And frankly, the NBA is, I'm pretty sure the fastest growing major league industry currently. So that's, that's definitely a good horse to back. And you know, I'm looking forward to more of your adventures. So the last question that we like to ask our guests is with, you know, e-commerce being a very 24-7 job occupation that you have, Kian, how do you maintain a healthy work-life balance, especially with you who wears so many hats in terms of sourcing, product development, founder, CEO, all that? How do you, um, what do you do with your free time to kind of stay intact that's a great question and um i know it maybe sounds a little bit cheesy but like uh, this is applicable to me a lot of people say you have to love what you do and it's so true because uh, entrepreneurship is a long and lonely journey and there's going to be a lot of nights where you have to work until 2 or 3 a.m you have to take some hits and you know what if it's not something that you're passionate about it could be really easy to give up but for me like if it's if i'm working on a new product if i'm working with the nba or whatever it may be, I'm launching the next best travel bag. I know there's going to be stumbling blocks along the road, but it wakes me up in the morning. It excites me. So like, even when you have those tough and hard times, I'm still willing to keep going. And um, it's funny because like, I, I do work very hard and I do work weekends. And I did work over the holidays, but honestly, it doesn't feel like work. I would rather be working than watching Netflix. And like my mom always tells me, you know, why don't you take time off? And, you know, why don't you just go on like more holidays? Why don't you hang out more with your friends? And I'm like, this is what I love doing. This is what I want to do. This is where I'm happiest. So like, I don't feel like I need to break from my work. If I go on holiday with my friends, I still got my laptop. I've still got my samples. I'm still working on stuff. Right. And people think you're crazy. Like, oh, you're a workaholic. I'm like, no, like this is genuinely what makes me happy and makes me excited. But aside from that, you have to have some time to yourself as well. And what I like to do is just like playing basketball, working out, going to the gym and all that sort of stuff as well. And looking back, I know that in my life when I've always been happiest, it's when I've always been in shape. So I don't compromise on that no matter how busy I am. I always make the time to go to the gym uh, almost every day or go for a swim or go to uh, play basketball or whatever, play football with my friends and stuff like that. And not just like, hey, like tomorrow I need to go to the gym. I actually put it in my calendar like it's a meeting. So for example, this podcast was in both of our calendars. So if someone tried to schedule a call with us during this time, it wouldn't have happened because calendar wouldn't have allowed for it. So same with the gym. I know like, okay, today between 2 and 3 p.m. I'm playing basketball and 3 till 3.30 I'm in the gym. So 
if anyone tried to book a call or do anything with me at that time, it wouldn't be possible. So I would say like, if fitness is a big thing for you as well, and that's what makes you happy, then add it into your calendar, schedule it in and make it a non-negotiable. No, that's great. I, I think that's good advice is that if you value it, it should have the same value as the other stuff that you do, you know, it, it should be just as much as uh, scheduling a meeting. So, you know, Kian, I, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate this sit down with you. It's, it's been an absolute blast. I think you gave our viewers and definitely myself uh, a bit to think about and put into practice. So I just really appreciate talking with you. Likewise, man, it's been a lot of fun. And I, I love your questions as well. And that's why I like doing these different shows as well, because everyone's got a different perspective. And like, you know, just the, the different places you took this, I'm sure adds a lot of value to, to anyone listening as well. So thank you very much for being such a great host as well. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Until next time. All the best, bro. Take care. I'd like to thank Kian Galzari for joining me on the show and tune in next week when I talk about growth-driven advertising with Ryan Flanagan, the CEO of Nuanced Media. For more information about Kian, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or follow him on Instagram at Kian underscore JG. And for more information about Sourcing with Kian, you can visit their website, sourcingwithkian.com and follow them on YouTube and Facebook at Sourcing with Kian. You can also find more information about Kian's other company, Titan Sourcing at titansourcing.com. That's our show. Thanks for joining us and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday. Until then.